Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast and audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile of the West End. Today's episode is about the bungled assassination attempts of Russian spy Alexander Litvinenko, whose truly incompetent murderers left a deadly trail of lethal poison all across London's West End. Murder Mile contains grisly details which may offend as well as realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 20, The Bungled Assassinations of Alexander Litvinenko. Today, I'm on Shaftesbury Avenue. Not the shit bit of Shaftesbury Avenue, but the really tacky bit, wedged between Soho and Chinatown, just shy of Piccadilly Circus. Where every day, you'll see a slew of easily duped tourists who have either forked out £100 each to sit for six hours on a rainy open-top bus to take blurry photos of Buckingham Palace as they whiz past at 40 miles an hour, Sightseers in transparent ponchos with eight cameras around their necks and a bum bag full of cash who struggle with an oversized map and might as well be holding a sign which says mug me. And flocks of feckless overseas students with matching backpacks and no money who simply take up space, talk too loud and let's be honest, shoplift. As well as idiots with selfie sticks, halfwits with Harrods bags and morons who give money to a motionless man wearing a Yoda mask. All who've come to London only to avoid all of the truly amazing traditional British pubs, cafes and restaurants, and end up eating the same shit that they do back home in an identical branch of Planet Hollywood, McDonald's or Pizza Hut. Of course, 
If you're visiting our lovely city, thank you for coming to London, and we hope you enjoy your stay. Oh, and come on a murder mile walk. It really is excellent. Right now, I'm standing outside the Piccadilly Hotel at 65 to 73 Shaftesbury Avenue, formerly called the Shaftesbury. A four-star hotel with a red brick, gold-trimmed and black glass-fronted facade, which the new owners, current staff and any future customers may be delighted to know that this was not the murder location. And yet, this is where our story begins. A true story about espionage, Russian spies, British gangsters, foreign defectors and nuclear weapons which happened under the very noses of the British Secret Service. And yet, it wasn't set in 1946, 56, or even 66, but in 2006, 14 years after the end of the Cold War, and yet it began with the arrival of two of Russia's most incompetent assassins, named Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun. On the bright crisp morning of Monday the 16th of October 2006, at a little after 7am, a routine flight for the Russian air carrier Transaero departed Moscow's Vinokova International Airport on a 4 hour and 20 minute flight to London Gatwick. With the Boeing 747 being sparsely filled with just a smattering of suited businessmen and eager holidaymakers, the stewardesses began serving coffee entirely unaware that two of their passengers had hidden about their person something so rare that it can't be bought, something so small that it could be hidden in an eyedropper, something so deadly that it could kill everyone on the plane, and no one would know how, when, or why. But they weren't smugglers, thieves, or terrorists. They were just two men casually dressed in jeans, t-shirts and jackets, who sat, chatted and raised no suspicions. And yet both men had dark histories. Born on the 19th of September 1966, Andrei Konstinovich Lugovoy was a 40-year-old former commander for the KGB's 9th Directorate providing defensive, tactical and combat training for the Kremlin's top soldiers, agents and assassins. Later promoted to a commander in the FSB, Russia's secret police, Lugovoy now headed up his own security firm known as the Ninth Wave. And yet, he didn't look like a killer. Instead, being 5 foot 9 inches tall, 13 stone in weight, with blue eyes, fair hair which was slightly combed over to disguise a slight bull patch, and a sneering face onto which a smile seemed unnatural. He looked more like a ragged Daniel Craig, portraying a stereotypical Russian in a badly directed 1980s spy thriller. And although his partner on the flight, Dmitry Vladimirovich Kovtun, had a similar upbringing, being childhood friends who rose through the ranks of the KGB, 
41-year-old Kovtun was moody, surly, antisocial and rude. And yet he didn't look like a killer either. As being a lightly toned man, with a tan complexion, brown eyes, brown hair which was speckled with flecks of salt and pepper colouring, and a smooth, unwrinkled face, having never cracked a smile. Kovtun looked more like a bad tribute act to the Manchester United manager, Jose Mourinho. And although they travelled under the guise of businessmen, coming to London for a regular meeting, really, they were here to kill. Having been instructed by the highest order in the Kremlin to assassinate a Russian defector, a staunch critic of Vladimir Putin, an MI6 agent, and an investigative journalist into Russian organised crime, who neither man had any debts with, hatred for, and who was even Andre Lugovoy's friend, colleague, and business partner. Their target's name was Alexander Litvinenko. At a little before 11.30am, the Boeing 747 from Moscow landed at Gatwick's North Terminal. A travelling light with flight cases and suit bags, the hired assassins disembarked, hiding one of the world's deadliest murder weapons. Lugovoy and Kovtun were briefly questioned by the customs agents, whose instincts were finely tuned to detect anything suspicious. And as both men gave short evasive answers, had official passports, IDs and no criminal record, and having had their bags checked, none of which contained alcohol, drugs, guns, knives or even explosives, they legally entered Britain. At exactly 11.49am, Lugovoy telephoned Alexander Litvinenko, his business partner and intended target, to confirm a pre-arranged meeting in Mayfair that afternoon. Litvinenko was in, the plan was on, and his death was just hours away. It was a murder that no one knew was coming, all but a few were expecting, and using a silent but effective weapon which was almost completely untraceable. If successful, his killers would be out of the country before anyone even knew what had happened. It was the perfect murder. Or it would have been, if Lugovoy and Kovtun hadn't been so laughably inept. Having ridden the Gatwick Express to Victoria Station, at roughly 1pm, Lugovoy and Kovtun checked into the Shaftesbury Hotel. With the tiring seven-hour journey behind them, they both unpacked, washed and changed into their chosen disguises. Adopting the look, the style and demeanour of two highly respectable businessmen. Or they would have done if those businessmen were colourblind, had dressed in the dark and their attire was entirely inspired by cheesy mob villains from the 1980s TV series Miami Vice. Rather than adopting anonymous black suits to help blend seamlessly into the city, Lugovoy opted for a loud brown checkered suit. Kovtun wore the tackiest silvery metallic suit imaginable, which was made of finest polyester. 
and with both men accentuating their look with brightly coloured shirts, garish ties, day-glow socks and a wrist-jangling assortment of chunky gold chains, bracelets and sovereign rings, their unsubtle attire was so shocking and eye-wateringly gaudy that it caused the hotel staff to chuckle, with the hotel's manager, Goran Krigo, later commenting, The colours didn't match. The suits were either too big or too small. They just didn't look like people who were used to wearing suits. They looked like, uh, I think the expression is, like a donkey with a saddle. But feeling like they looked a million rubles, Lugavoy and Kovtun headed out to commit the perfect murder. At 3pm, as planned, with Lugavoy dressed like Burberry's biggest fan, and Kovtun shimmering like a budget disco ball, they confidently sashayed into the London office of Arinis, a security consultancy based at 25 Grosvenor Street, and the chosen spot for Litvinenko's murder, which happened to be just 500 metres away from the heavily guarded American embassy, which also housed a CIA surveillance substation. And yet, Lugavoy and Kovtun sat down for a meeting on the fourth-floor boardroom of Erinis with the company's head, Tim Riley, and Lugavoy's business partner, Alexander Litvinenko. Born Alexander Voltarovich Litvinenko on the 4th of December 1962, 44-year-old Litvinenko, who went under the pseudonym of Edwin Redwald Carter, but was better known to his friends as Sasha, was a former KGB and FSB officer who defected to the UK in 2000 with his wife Marina and their son Anatoly, having become a fervent critic of corruption in the Kremlin the systematic assassination of dissenting voices, and having accused the former head of the FSB, Vladimir Putin, of orchestrating a series of bombings on civilian apartment blocks which killed 293 people, injured over a thousand, and having blamed it all on the Chechen revels, it boosted Putin's electoral popularity in his bid to be president of the Russian Federation. And although slightly shy, spendthrift, and religiously teetotal, having converted from Christianity to Islam. With reddish-brown hair, pale skin, and blue eyes, Litvinenko's weapon of choice was the pen, which he used with devastating effect as a journalist, author, and an expert in Russian organised crime, who now worked for the British secret intelligence service, MI6. In the Arinis boardroom on the fourth floor of 25 Grosvenor Street, the meeting began with the customary polite chatter and pleasantness. Litvinenko had his back to the bay windows, Tim sat to his right, and Lugavoy and Kovtun seated opposite, dressed like a pair of cartoon pimps. But every time that Tim tried to steer the talk to business, Kovtun huffed, hardly uttering a single word, and Lugovoy seemed desperate for his comrades to have a drink. As placed between them in the centre of the circular wooden table, covered in a green fabric tablecloth, were four white cups 
and a freshly brewed pot of tea. Tim Riley would later state that Lugavoy was oddly persistent in his need to ensure that everyone was fully hydrated. He kept saying to me, Don't you want any tea? Won't you have any? To the point where so exasperated had Tim become. Even though he didn't like tea, and never drank tea, he poured three cups of green tea for his three guests. Lugavoy, Kovtun, and Litvinenko. And there they sat, everyone except Kovtun talking, with the murder weapon perched just inches from the left hand of its intended target, disguised as a humble cup of tea, inside of which was a poison, so discreet it almost had no taste, so deadly they only needed a few drops, so lethal there was no cure, and it took effect so slowly that hours from now, when the victim would start dying, his killers would be long gone. All they needed was for Litvinenko to take a drink. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But it wasn't arsenic, mercury, or even cyanide. Three readily available poisons which are easy to buy, administer, dispose of, and disguise. Their poison of choice was the ridiculously rare and impossibly expensive polonium-210, a radioactive isotope made in a nuclear reactor which, although invisible, undetectable, and when swallowed, is 100 billion times more toxic than hydrogen cyanide. And yet every batch of polonium-210 has a unique chemical signature, which identifies its precise location of origin. With this particular batch coming from a supposedly secret FSB laboratory in Sarov, Russia. Of course... 
Lugavoy and Kovtun can't really be blamed for choosing such a ludicrous weapon, as access to nuclear chemicals clearly happened well above their minuscule pay grade. And had either man been informed what it was that they had secreted in an eyedropper, instead of dressing like a Laura Ashley tablecloth and an extra long roll of tinfoil, maybe having purchased rubber gloves, gas masks, Wellington boots and a set of hazmat suits, they may have been a tad more careful with how they smuggled, handled and eventually disposed of one of the world's deadliest radioactive poisons. Weeks later, when nuclear scientists examined the Arinist fourth floor boardroom with their Geiger counters, it was heaving with radioactive contamination. To put this into context, the safe level of radiation that the average person absorbs through sunlight every 207 days is roughly 100 clicks per minute. A standard Geiger counter is set to record up to a maximum of 500 clicks per minute. And yet almost every piece of furniture in that boardroom caused what is known as a full-scale deflection. Readings that are so high that they went right off the scale. But with a large, uneven patch of the green fabric tablecloth, where Litvinenko had been sitting, spiking at almost 160 times higher than the safe level of radiation, it indicated that at some point before the meeting had ended, Alexander Litvinenko had spilled his tea and had left, having not drank a single drop. Later that evening, with his skin having been exposed to high levels of polonium-210, when Litvinenko arrived back at his Muswell Hill home, he began to feel unwell, and as his body was struck down with radiation sickness, he started to vomit. But by the morning, he was fine, and thinking he must have had some bad sushi during his post-meeting debrief with Lugavoy and Kovtun, he put his queasiness down to a mild case of food poisoning. He got dressed, he had breakfast, and he continued with his day. The assassination was a total disaster. Not just because their victim was alive, well, and unharmed, but because, having spilled the poison tea, everywhere that Litvinenko's bungling assassins went, and on everything they touched, they left a very distinctive radioactive trail. All across the West End, from Arinis at 25 Grosvenor Street, to Itsu, the sushi restaurant at 167 Piccadilly. And instead of commiserating their abject failure as the Kremlin's most incompetent assassins ever. Lugovoy and Kovtun spent the night dressed and acting like two low-rent hoods who just conned 400 quid out of a blind old lady by selling her a cut-and-shut Nissan Micra. Having first gorged themselves silly on £214 worth of Italian seafood and pizzas at Pescaderi on Charlotte Street, they then each smoked a nine-pound shisha pipe on the terrace of Dar Marrakesh in the Trocadero Centre. They then hired a rickshaw for an hour-long midnight ride around the West End, 
taking in a few of its seediest bars, and feeling slightly affronted by the heavy homosexual vibe of Soho. These two very manly men, who were wearing brightly coloured shirts and an excess of jewellery, were so desperate to meet some girls that they ended the night by partying it up at Helvo in German Street, a private members' club styled like a Russian brothel, complete with frilly pink cubicles, mirrored walls, a dance floor dominated by a large bronze cock, and a bordello-style bathroom which spurted hot water from penis-shaped taps. Later, in room 107 of the Shaftesbury Hotel, being a little worse for wear, having quaffed an ungodly excess of pink champagne, with Lugavoy being a highly trained assassin who knew not only how to kill, but also how to cover his tracks, he took the remainder of the Polonium 210 and tipped it down the sink, contaminating the bathroom, the pipework and the hotel as this highly radioactive isotope sat in the sink's U-bend, emitting 30 times the safe level of radiation for weeks to come. And even though they paid in advance for two nights at the Shaftesbury Hotel, Lugavoy and Kovtun promptly checked out early the next morning, hopped in a cab, and booked into the Parks Hotel at Beaufort Gardens in Knightsbridge whinging to the staff about the condition of the rooms, where it is safe to say that the real reason that they left wasn't a deep-seated desire to sleep on firmer beds, softer sheets and fluffier pillows. They just wanted to get as far away as possible from the nuclear disaster that they had unleashed in a Soho bathroom. The following morning, on Wednesday the 18th of October 2006, having packed away their pimp costumes, perhaps feeling a little fed up with resembling an all-white tribute act to the black exploitation film Shaft, Lugavoy and Kovtun hopped on the next Transaero flight from Heathrow to Moscow, and having left traces of Polonium 210 in seats 26E and 26F, they ensured that with the British authorities desperate to test both planes, that neither Boeing 747 returned to British airspace ever again. Sadly, the same could not be said for André Lugavoy, the poor man's Daniel Craig, as having had his hand slapped, his knuckles wrapped and his bottom smacked by his bosses in the FSB, they ordered him to return to London to do it properly. Only this time he had left behind his partner in crime, Dmitry Kovtun, a man with a bafflingly long career in one of Britain's most secretive organisations, the FSB. And yet, just days before his failed attempt to kill Litvinenko, he had confided to a friend, I've got a very expensive poison. I've got to put it in the food or drink. Do you know any chefs or waiters who could help me? One week later, on Wednesday the 25th of October 2006, having packed a less embarrassing suit and making full use of the FSB's liberal expense policy for hired assassins, 
Lugovoy flew from Moscow to Heathrow on British Airways Flight 875, sitting in seat 6K of business class. With a fresh batch of polonium-210 safely ensconced in his bag, and checked himself into the five-star Sheraton Park Hotel on Piccadilly, just by the Ritz, occupying room 878 on the eighth floor, which has lovely views over Green Park. That afternoon, in the hotel's Art Deco tea room called Palm Court, Lugovoy and Litvinenko met once again. Only this time, Lugovoy's intended target sat there in front of him, his left hand rising and falling as he repeatedly put the teacup to his lips, thirstily supping great glugs of green tea and never once spilling a single drop until Litvinenko had drank every last drop of tea. But he didn't die. He didn't even feel ill. In fact, Litvinenko found it quite refreshing and was very grateful for the free tea. Not just because he was a skinflint who hated wasting good money on overpriced items, but as a defected Russian dissident, it was nice to have a drink paid for by the FSB. A short while later, the meeting ended. They shook hands and parted ways. And for reasons which aren't fully understood, inside Lugovoy's bag was an unopened vial of polonium-210. Later in room 878 of the Sheraton Park Hotel, being a little bit tipsy, having quaffed three large glasses of red wine and puffed away on a king-sized Cuban cigar, with Lugovoy being a highly trained assassin who knew not only how to kill, but also how to cover his tracks, he took the unused bottle of polonium-210, opened it, and poured it down the sink. Once again contaminating the bathroom, the pipework, and the hotel, as well as a small white pedal bin which was situated next to the toilet where he had casually discarded the radioactive eyedropper, as well as several white hand towels, having used them to mop up the lethal nuclear poison which he had spilled over the floor. So bad was this spill, that weeks later, when two nuclear scientists from Aldermaston's atomic weapons establishment examined room 848, not only had Lugovoy done an awful job of cleaning up the mess, having splashed the polonium on the floor, walls, door, the bath, the sink and the loo, but with their Geiger counters recording full-scale deflections, which were 500 times higher than the safe levels. The bathroom was so radioactive that even whilst wearing breathing apparatus and hazmat suits, the nuclear scientists asked to withdraw to a safe distance, and the room was sealed until further notice. Once again, Lugovoy returned to Russia, received another slap wrist, wrapped knuckles and smacked bottom, only to be ordered to return back to the UK, so that this time he could kill Litvinenko properly. 
So one week later, once again, Lugavoy flew back to Britain, packing a third bottle of radioactive polonium-210. Only this time, he was aided by his trusty partner in crime, Dmitry Kovtun, the sulky Jose Mourinho lookalike. Because clearly, they had worked so well the first time. On Tuesday the 31st of October 2006, at 8.30pm, into the five-star Millennium Hotel at 44 Grosvenor Square, just 300 feet from their first ill-fated assassination attempt at the Arinus office, and just 200 feet from the US Embassy and its CIA surveillance substation, Lugavoy entered the hotel. This time, his disguise was simple and effective. As dressed in blue jeans, a black leather jacket and a mustard yellow jumper, he looked like a regular family man. As on this trip, he was accompanied by his wife Svetlana, their three daughters, a family friend and his eight-year-old son, Igor. Being in a jubilant mood, surrounded by his loved ones, and excited to watch his beloved football team, CSKA Moscow, who were due to play against Arsenal the next evening. Everyone was in high spirits, unaware of the real ulterior motive for this hastily arranged holiday. On Wednesday the 1st of November 2006, at just after 2pm, 44-year-old Alexander Litvinenko left his home in Muswell Hill, North London dressed in a blue denim jacket and dark jeans. And being conscious of the exorbitant costs of travel in the capital city, especially as his consultancy work for MI6 wasn't full-time and didn't pay particularly well, using his prepaid Oyster card, he hopped on the W7 bus, riding 10 stops to Finsbury Park, and then headed 9 stops south on the Piccadilly line to Piccadilly Circus. At 3pm, for a pre-arranged late lunch at Itsu, the heavily contaminated sushi restaurant where just two weeks earlier he had a meeting debrief with his bungling cack-handed assassins, Litvinenko met with Mario Scaramella, an ex-FSB agent, security consultant, lawyer, and ironically, an expert in nuclear weapons. And yet... Their late lunch would only be brief, as with Lugavoy and Kovtun, eager to finally do a good job, not to be proved as total imbeciles, to ensure the swift and successful death of Alexander Litvinenko, and to do all of this without missing the 7pm kickoff between CSKA Moscow and Arsenal. Lugavoy repeatedly called Litvinenko, badgering him to hurry up. With their careers and lives on the line, nerves had clearly got the better of them as they paced back and forth, double-checked their watches and dashed to the loo every few minutes, leaving a trail of radiation on everything they touched, including the sink, the taps, the dryer and almost certainly their penises. And although they'd only been waiting in the pine bar of the Millennium Hotel for about 30 minutes, Lugavoy and Kovtun had clocked up a bill of just over £70. For three gin and tonics, one champagne cocktail, 
one Romeo and Julieta cigar, one neat Gordon's gin, and a pot of green tea with three cups. At 3.59pm, Litvinenko arrived in the Millennium Hotel lobby. He telephoned Lugovoy and was ushered into the Pine Bar, where Kovtun was seated. Both men seemed uptight and jumpy, with Kovtun even more moody and depressed than usual. As he sat there, saying very little, perpetually scowling like a man who, once again, was staring failure in the face. And although they had very little time to spare, as much as Litvinenko diligently tried to steer the conversation to their upcoming meeting with the private security firm Global Risk, once again, Lugovoy steered the chat back to whether his guest would like a drink. But all that was left on the table were a few empty gin and tonic bottles, a dribble of champagne cocktail, a bent cigar stub, and having got bored of waiting, before they'd added the polonium, Lugovoy and Kovtun had drank most of the tea. Meaning all that remained in the teapot was half a cup of cold green tea, with an unusually bitter aftertaste, which was also 100 billion times deadlier than cyanide. Being the Pine Bar's ever-dutiful waiter, Norberto Andrade asked Litvinenko, Would you like to have anything to drink? Which Lugovoy repeated, his pestering having become insufferable. But once again, not wanting to waste his own money, Litvinenko said no. And for the third time, in just two weeks, a simple assassination attempt had been thwarted by a teetotal man who wasn't very thirsty. But as the conversation progressed, Lugovoy became more persistent, pressuring Litvinenko that, if you would like something, order something for yourself, but we are leaving soon pointing to the white ceramic teapot and adding, If you want some tea, then there is some left here. You can have some of this. At approximately 4.20pm, the meeting was over. Handshakes were given, and a small dribble of highly radioactive cold green tea remained in Litvinenko's cup, having poured what was left out of politeness. Impatient to get to the football match at Arsenal's North London Stadium, Lugovoy's wife, Svetlana, arrived in the hotel lobby, eagerly waved at her husband and mouthed the words, Let's go! Let's go! And as the Lugovoy family mingled in the bar, with the ever-moody Kovtun declaring, I'm very tired. I want to sleep and bailing on this hotly anticipated match. Lugovoy, in a truly strange act of either arrogance and perhaps self-sabotage, introduced his eight-year-old son Igor to Litvinenko, saying, This is Uncle Sasha. Shake his hand. Which the boy dutifully did. 
not knowing that just minutes earlier, Alexander Litvinenko had used that same hand to grasp the white ceramic handle, raise the radioactive cup to his lips, and to sup three small sips of cold green tea. Shortly afterwards, both parties parted ways. A few small drops of polonium-210 in Litvinenko's system. Nuclear scientists dressed in boots, masks and hazmat suits would later examine the pine bar at the Millennium Hotel in Grosvenor Square and detected radioactive traces on the table, the chairs, most door handles, an ashtray, numerous glasses, cups, spoons, saucers, a milk jug and a sugar bowl. With the largest full-scale deflection coming off the white ceramic teapot, which the staff had unwittingly placed in the dishwasher and reused it with subsequent guests, and spreading the radioactive isotope to the walls, the floor, the till, an ice cream scoop, a chopping board, and even a piano stool. That evening, in room 382 of the Millennium Hotel, being a little tipsy, having quaffed two gin and tonics and a champagne cocktail, with Kovtun being a highly trained assassin who knew not only how to kill, but also how to cover his tracks. He poured what remained of the polonium-210 down the sink, contaminating another bathroom, another set of pipework and another hotel. Travelling his usual route home, Litvinenko rode the Piccadilly line to Finsbury Park hopped on the W7 bus to Muswell Hill, and by the time that Lugovoy and his family were getting seated to watch an uneventful goalless match between CSKA Moscow and Arsenal, he was back home, feeling fine, and ready to enjoy a celebratory dinner with his beloved wife Marina and young son Anatoly. As today was the sixth anniversary of their arrival in Britain, having sought the safety, asylum and sanctuary of London, and fled the fear, the corruption and the threats of assassination in their native Russia. At a little after midnight, feeling a little drowsy after a hearty dinner, Litvinenko was lying in bed when his head started to ache, which was to be expected after an exhausting day. With his energy drained and his brain throbbing, he noticed that his dry pale skin had become unusually sweaty, itchy and pockmarked with red inflamed patches, which could easily be attributed to an allergy. But suddenly, feeling dizzy, hot and nauseous, he started to vomit again and again and again. But this wasn't food poisoning. And as the night progressed, his condition got worse. Litvinenko was transferred to the critical care unit of University College Hospital, just off Tottenham Court Road, under his British pseudonym Edwin Redwald Carter, where for 23 days, 
doctors struggled to save his life. Witnessing a range of symptoms they had never seen before or since. As each of his limbs went numb, his bone marrow dried up, and every organ in his body slowly failed. Not realising that there was no treatment, no cure, and no hope of his survival. And as Marina stroked her husband's head, his reddish-brown hair came out in great clumps in her hand. As he lay in bed, his gaunt pale skin looking ghostly against his green surgical gown, with his cheeks hollow, his eyes sunken, and numerous catheters, drips and tubes connecting his failing body to an endless series of life-saving machines. Litvinenko, whose head and body was now completely bald, resembled a terminal cancer patient who was dying at an exponentially rapid speed. Over three days, having mustered every ounce of energy his body could summon, Litvinenko gave 18 interviews to the police, during which he identified Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun as his assassins. On the 23rd of November 2006, at 3pm, shocked scientists at Aldermaston's nuclear weapons establishment confirmed that the poison used was polonium-210. But that same day, having suffered his third heart attack in 24 hours, Medic struggled to revive his weakened body. And by the time that his beloved wife Marina and their young son Anatoly had rushed to be by his side, Alexander Litvinenko was pronounced dead. He was laid to rest in a lead-lined casket in Highgate Cemetery. Russian authorities refused to accept the findings of the British inquiry. Russian President Vladimir Putin has denounced the evidence as false. And both the FSB and the KGB have suggested that the death of Alexander Litvinenko was either an accident, a suicide, or that he had attempted to assassinate Lugovoy and Kovtun, with the Russian authorities refusing to extradite the men for questioning. Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun were hospitalised, having been exposed to deadly doses of polonium-210. They both made a full recovery. Today, Dmitry Kovtun is a moody security specialist in Moscow. And Andrei Lugovoy is a prominent Russian politician, deputy of the Russian parliament's lower house, and he has also carved out a niche as a TV presenter on a factual series about Russian spies who defect to the UK, with an episode about the ex-KGB officer, Alexander Litvinenko. The series is called Traitors. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. Don't forget to check out the Murder Mile website at murdermiletours.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, or join the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast discussion group on Facebook. 
Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Next week's episode will be something different. Thank you and sleep well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.